0: Hello and welcome to podcast by Brodies. My name is David Lee and in this series we take an in-depth look at some common and not so common questions and scenarios that Brodies lawyers have faced over the years. In the first part of this series we're joined by Advocacy by Brodies, the team of solicitor advocates within the firm who work at the front line of law across many disciplines, from litigation to land and from public law to parliamentary affairs. In each episode, we talk to Brodie's experts and hear their insights and experiences of how they respond to that deceptively simple question, what do I do if? Today, we hear from Solicitor Advocates Tony Jones and Susie Mountain, who will address the question, what do I do if I'm called to be a witness in court? So starting with the basics, Tony, What is the legal definition of a witness? Well, David, it may surprise the listeners um, to know that
1: there is no single legal definition of what a witness is. Uh, But generally, it's understood that it is a person or an individual who has information about events that are relevant to a court action. And uh, it's generally accepted that they fall into two specific types of witnesses. Um, First of all, witnesses to fact. uh, And these are individuals who will speak to what they saw, heard, smelt, signed, or in fact what they did. Um, And I'll give you a few examples of that. So if you're called as a witness in a criminal trial pertaining to an assault, you'll be asked about uh, who hit who, when it happened, um, where the person was hit, what happened after that, etc. But you won't be asked um, who started it or whose fault it was or who won the fight indeed. Uh, in a road traffic accident where somebody suffered an injury, you'll be asked, you know, did the car skid? Uh, what direction was travelling it? Did you have an impression of its speed? But you won't be asked whose fault it was um, uh, that the accident happened. And take a, a case, a professional negligence case, where um, somebody's claiming that the doctor failed to warn them about the risks of an operation. Um, the uh, witness to fact may be asked about whether or not um, the doctor said anything, what they said uh, and imparted to the patient. But they'll not be asked if the doctor was in fact at fault. And the contrast to that is the other class of witness, which is an expert witness, and experts generally give opinion evidence. Uh, And in a criminal trial, um, fans of uh, crime scene investigation will be well familiar with um, witnesses looking at blood spatter, matching fingerprints, and all these uh, wonderful things that uh, people get excited about in uh, TV shows. Um, But in road traffic cases, for example, you might call a doctor to speak to um, what the future holds for the injured person. Will they walk again? How will they be able to walk? What uh, will they need to to help them in the future? And in the professional negligence case that I just described, uh, another doctor might be called to speak to what the ordinary practice of doctors would be in warning patients Um, about the risks of operations. So that generally is the the type of um, witness that you would have in most
0: cases. Okay, thanks very much, Tony. And Susie, what's the difference between being asked to be a witness and being forced to be a witness?
2: It's obviously always better if you're asked to be a witness as opposed to being forced to be one. Um, But if you are asked to be a witness, um, that would tend to imply that you're content to do it. So, for example, in family law actions, family and friends are often very, very keen to assist where they can and where they've got useful information that they can provide. What's quite good about being asked to be a witness is that if you're particularly key to the case, then you might be able to have your availability taken into account. So, If you've got holidays and you're absolutely needed, then it's wise to draw that to the attention of the person who is asking you in advance. Generally, you will have already given a statement to the person who's asked you to be a witness or or rather to their solicitor. And that helps them because it helps them to see whether or not you're going to say things that are actually useful and helpful, but it also helps you because it will give you a really good idea of what it is that you are likely to be asked about. Now, if you are compelled, don't want to say forced to be a witness, but compelled to be a witness, um, then that would tend to suggest that you might be more reluctant. Um, But if you are compelled to be a witness, you will be cited to attend and you absolutely should make sure that you show up and that you do that. Most courts and tribunals um, can ensure that you attend. um, So it's not worth it. There are penalties in place if you decide that you're just not going to show up. Now, of course, if you are very, very reluctant, then it may be that the solicitor who was otherwise Going to intend upon compelling you to attend and may decide not to do so because you're never quite sure what's going to come out of a reluctant witness's mouth. Um, but if you are cited, you should just make sure that you go.
0: Okay. And Tony, what Susie's just touched on there—obviously, some people are not terribly keen to be witnesses. Do in your experience, people find the prospect of uh, being a witness and giving evidence stressful, even quite scary. Absolutely, yes. Um, And I can testify to that because I myself have been a witness
1: um, three times in three different cases, uh, and it can be stressful. Um, But... I suppose one has to understand that in part it's meant to be uh, a little bit stressful. Uh, and this probably comes from the old notion um, if one remembers the the reason it's called a court is because hundreds of years ago um, decisions were made by um, the king or queen in, in a royal court. Hence the, the royal courts of justice in England and Wales. And it was meant to be an intimidating environment because the idea was if it was scary then people would be more likely to tell the truth and not lie. Of course, psychology has developed somewhat these days and uh, many psychologists would argue that the imposing nature of a court um, is such that it makes it difficult for people um, to give evidence and they may be less likely to recount the correct version of events and and I'm sure Susie in the context of family law well knows that changes have been brought into the courts to uh, allow um, younger witnesses and vulnerable witnesses to to give evidence uh, more easily. But, of course, against the background that there are real penalties available um, uh, to the court for uh, those who lie, it's called perjury, uh, or for those who show contempt to the court, perhaps because they refuse to uh, answer questions, um, then, of course, it, it should be a little bit frightening because um, if you don't cooperate, then there are um, penalties available to the court that could make it a bad day for you.
0: Mm-hmm. And when those times you were giving evidence, Tony, was the person you were being questioned by scarier or less scary than you? (laughs) Well, I I suppose uh, uh, it's not
1: the person that you're scared of. It's whether or not um, uh, you make a mistake, whether um, um, uh, a forced error, perhaps. Um, On on those occasions, it was okay, I have to say, in the end of the day.
0: Okay, that's good. And what support is available for witnesses to help them prepare for the experience of, of, of giving evidence and appearing in court?
2: Yeah, so that's a really important question because, um, as Tony says, it can be scary, it can be daunting, um, but you can get yourself as prepared as possible. So it really depends on what kind of witness you are. So if you're a witness um, in a criminal action, then you can access support through a victim support service, which is organised through the criminal justice system. If you're a witness in a civil case, then the best person to speak to is usually the person who has called upon you to be a witness, so the solicitor that's organising your attendance. Um, Now, if they have taken a statement from you, you might get to see a copy of it. You can't take that with you into the witness box and refer to it throughout, but it might be a good idea to refresh your memory if you can have access to that. Um, You can recover any lost wages, any travel costs and subsistence, so make sure that you do do that. Nobody can coach you. It's your evidence. It has to be what you think happened and what you can speak to. So it's very important that nobody is guiding you through and making suggestions about what you may or may not want to be saying. But what they can do is give you advice about the basic procedure and the logistics. So really key things are things like finding out where you're meant to be and when. Um, Is the court going to take place online, which is quite common at the moment, or in person? How do you get there? Make sure you give yourself enough time to get there know what you're wearing, know what you're going to call your decision maker. These are all really important things. They might seem small, but on the day, it's all extra things that you don't have to be worrying about. And of course, expert witnesses are in a different category. Again, they tend to be paid to appear and they usually have access to witness preparation training if they need to undertake that.
0: Okay, and we've already had one mention of uh, CSI. Uh, do some witnesses kind of think that their appearance in court is going to be a bit like uh, you know, the dramatic courtroom scene from TV and film? Uh, absolutely, um, David, because that's
1: uh, the most common uh, information that witnesses have if they've never appeared in court. Uh, before. Uh, And uh, particularly, they're usually concerned with cross-examination because in the context of giving evidence, uh, you're led by the people who are um putting you in the witness stand that's called examination in chief and then you're cross-examined that's where um uh, the cross-examiner tries to challenge or undermine your evidence and then there's a re-examination where the friendly side get a second go at it to try and uh repair any uh, perceived damage um but of course, in cross examination, people fear that they're going to be made a fool of or lose control. And uh, those of us of a certain age probably remember the film uh, "A Few Good Men," in, in which Jack Nicholson played uh, the grizzled uh, Marine Corps colonel in, in, in Cuba, uh, and under cross examination from a very young uh, Tom Cruise, who's a very sort of junior rank compared to the, the uh, colonel. Uh, Jack Nicholson bursts forth saying, you can't handle the truth. Well, that just doesn't happen in in the courtroom because um, uh, really, other than the sanctions that are available to the court, if you're found to be lying um, or or deliberately misleading the court or being in contempt, the cross-examiner, they can't do anything to you if they don't like the answers um, uh, to your questions. Uh, That having been said, there is sometimes drama in the the courtroom, and uh, it was demonstrated to me in my first proof when I was a a newly qualified solicitor. um, After I had successfully uh, got a decree for a payment of a sum of money from my client, um, uh, the uh, restaurateur who was defending the action uh, came out of the witness box and tried to take a swing at my client. Um, Now, That was a long time ago. I've never seen that since, Uh, but it did set me up uh, to be disappointed because
0: um, things are usually a lot less exciting than that. Okay. And uh, so, what? I mean, broadly, what is it like in reality for a witness? You know, what is going to be their experience? Who is going to ask them the questions? What's going to be their interaction with the different individuals in the court?
2: Okay, so, well, I have to say just as a start that nobody's ever taken a swing at any of my clients or witnesses. So, um, Tony, I don't know what's going wrong in your cases, but certainly less drama for me. So usually when you're called as a witness, you will be taken into the court. Somebody will show you where to stand um, and you'll stand initially while you give the oath or you're asked to affirm. You'll be taught through all of that. so You really do not need to worry about it. Now, sometimes, especially if you're going to be given evidence for a long time, then the decision maker, usually a judge or a sheriff will say to you that you can sit down if you like, so that you're not standing there for a really long time. If they don't do that, and you're getting really tired, you should just ask if you can sit down. We definitely don't want any fainting witnesses. Um, you'll then be examined, usually by the solicitor who has called you to appear. They're not allowed to ask you leading questions. They're not trying to elicit certain responses from you. Um, they're obviously perhaps hoping that you're going to say certain things, but they're they're not trying to extract that from you in, in any obvious way. They'll be asking open questions. You give your answers. It's always best just to listen to the question and answer exactly what's being asked of you. If the person that's asking you the question wants more from you, then they'll ask for that. So you can get yourself in a knot if you try and go off on some tangent that you maybe think is important and everybody else in the courtroom is hanging their head or shaking their head and wishing that you would um, go back to the original point. You'll then be cross-examined. Um, usually by the solicitor on the other side of the case. Now, they don't have to cross-examine you, um, but often they'll decide to do so. Uh, By contrast, they will tend to ask you leading questions and try to lead you down certain paths and perhaps um, to encourage forced errors, as Tony put it. Um, So I suppose there is an element of them trying to catch you out to some extent or really test what it is that you're saying. If anything does become confused while you're doing that, then as Tony said, um, you can be re-examined by the solicitor who originally asked you questions. And that's really just a mopping up type exercise. They can't introduce new things at that point, but it's a tidy up. Now, your judge or your sheriff, they can interrupt at any time. So that's not a bad sign if they do that. It either means that they haven't heard you or you've maybe got a bit fast or there's something that hasn't been picked up by either of the other solicitors that they really want to know about. So they can interrupt. And again, nothing to fear from that they are definitely not there to catch you out they just want to get to the bottom of what is going on so just be calm listen to the questions tell the truth and everybody else will help you with the logistics of that
0: and are there limits to how aggressive the questioning can be and again back to the kind of tv and film you know you you, you suddenly get one of the one of the solicitors getting very animated and you know in American dramas in particular being right up in the face of the of the witness and so on is there a limit to that aggression that can be used in court Oh very definitely
1: um being proximate in a physical way to the witness uh, perhaps um towering over them um would not be acceptable uh, in in Scotland uh, but the Limits on how um, forceful you can be in asking questions tends to ebb and flow, and there are a number of factors that can uh, determine where the limit's going to be. Uh, One can be the type of case. So, for example, if one's saying it's a fraud case, even if it's a civil action, where you're saying that somebody has um, deliberately... Uh, misled other people to get money or whatever um then a, a more aggressive form of cross-examination might be allowable because you're already saying that perhaps the person in the stand that you're cross-examination examining is a liar um who the judges can be important and what their background is um if they spent most of their time dealing with crime um where um a more robust form of cross-examination is um, allowed, then they may allow a more robust form in a civil case. Whether or not there's a jury. Um, If there's a jury, then there are definite uh, limits. Uh, Some of those are legal limits uh, on the things that you can ask uh, or how forceful you can be. Um, How the witnesses reacted so far. Um, If they have been evasive uh, and difficult then the court may uh, allow a more aggressive form of cross-examining. Or if you've confronted them with something that clearly shows that the evidence that they've given cannot be right, then the court will indulge a more uh, robust line of uh, cross-examination. And and coming back to that first case that I mentioned, um, there was a good example there. When I was cross-examining the individual who took the swing uh, at my client, um in fact, the judge intervened during my cross examination to say to the witness uh, that if he uh, told one more lie, he would cite him for contempt, um, and that may have been the reason why the witness ultimately um, took took a swing. And, and indeed, in another case um, where I was cross examining an expert, I got quite robust with the expert because um, the answers to my questions. Were borderline ridiculous, so I was allowed to put that to the expert, saying you're just being ridiculous, uh, and uh, that was tolerated by the court because the expert had strayed from giving opinion evidence to sort of dissembling and making things up uh, to try and make their answers more credible.
0: So it's it's a fluid line. Mm. So yeah, the word the word expert was questionable in that case, Tony. <laughs> exactly, I think you're suggesting exactly, mm. and. Uh, you touched before, Susie, on this issue of uh, witnesses being comfortable and maybe asking to sit down if their evidence is quite long. If a witness is central to a case, how, how long can an evidence session take, potentially?
2: Well, how long is it? A piece of string, really. There isn't really a limit on it. I think one important thing to bear in mind is that the court day itself, although you've got a whole day, um, can actually be quite short. Court tends to start at 10. There's usually be a break, 1 till 2 for lunch. Um most sheriffs or judges will sit until four now sometimes that can um there is some flex in that but not always so you actually don't have a huge amount of time so if there's a lot of evidence to get through you may well find that you don't finish even in the course of one day you could be on for several days um, so you may simply run out of time you might have to come back for an additional day that may or may not be prearranged. Um, but it really depends how complex the case is how much it is that you know um, and what's in dispute, how many things there are to ask you about,
0: okay, and what matters most when you're a witness? How do you get across um you know the opposite of what Tony's just said and show that you are credible and and reliable uh and how can you know you said you d- you can't be coached, but how can you prepare to go into that witness box and give the best account of yourself? Well, of course,
1: as Susie alluded to a few moments ago, the important thing is to tell the truth as you understand it. And I'm very careful in the choice of words as you understand it um, because uh, that leads into the question of reliability of, of a witness. Um, you can challenge a witness on reliability because – They may have been too far from the events. Um, The light may have been poor. They didn't have their glasses on. Uh, The angle that they were looking at didn't um, afford them the best point of view, etc. So you're going into court to tell what you think you saw and uh, to put it in a plain and straightforward uh, uh, manner. And that's to be contrasted with credibility. If you're going to be attacked on credibility, where it's going to be suggested that you're lying, that you're deliberately misleading the court, uh, which obviously feeds into prospects of perjury charges. And attacks on credibility in that way are relatively rare in civil cases. But uh, at my top, tips would be just be straightforward. Don't try and mislead anyone. If you don't know the answer to a question, say that. Don't make it up. Don't try and be too helpful uh, by um, coming up with theories. If you don't understand a question, you politely say that. I don't understand and and ask them to, to reframe it. Be precise and clear in your answers um, speak to the decision maker, that's the judge or the jury, be polite, don't try and be smart, uh, and remember that a cross-examiner has control of you for as long as you're in that witness box. And that reminds me of another tale of a, a very senior... Um, member of the bar who indicated in a criminal trial um, he was dealing with a very cocky expert witness who had said during his uh, examination in chief that uh, he was uh, hoping to get away because he had a plane to catch that afternoon Uh, and uh, said witness apparently gave um, counsel trouble in the witness box uh, and senior counsel decided to keep him there for the next two days. Um, which is a fairly good
0: illustration of not to be too cocky in the witness box. Okay. And and, and what happens afterwards, once a witness has given evidence, um, what can they do afterwards? What can they say?
2: Okay. Well, one important thing that's sort of related to that, where they haven't quite finished, is that if they're in the middle of their evidence and the court adjourns. So if the court has a break for any reason, it's really important that during that time they don't discuss their evidence with anybody else. So I was in a proof just last week and our poor client had to go off and have lunch completely by herself because she was still technically in the middle of giving her evidence at lunchtime and we just shunned her and sent her off for her own sandwich. But once you've been released from being a witness, what you absolutely must not do is go and discuss your evidence with anybody else who is also going to be a witness but hasn't had their turn yet. Because it's really important that your evidence is yours, their evidence is theirs. You don't want to be trying to influence anybody else. Certainly don't go away and stick it on your social media account or anything like that. We don't want it showing up on TikTok.
0: Does that increasingly happen? Do you get people commenting? Do you get witnesses commenting on social media? Is that uh, just something that we're seeing just as a result of societal changes? I
2: certainly think in the field of family law, we see the odd, unwise Facebook comment. Not often in the middle of a court case. I have to say, I haven't had that yet, or it might be that I just haven't spotted it, but I wouldn't be at all surprised if it did happen.
0: Mm, yeah, sometimes people don't have quite as many filters uh, at the moment. So, finally, um, what's your advice to anyone called as a witness to make the experience as straightforward and as non stressful as possible?
1: Well, the starting point is um, giving evidence in any case is a civic duty. Um, whether it's in a criminal case or a civil case. I mean, it, it take a civil case, you may say, why is it my civil duty to help someone else? Well, the answer to that is because you would hope that other people would be civically minded to help you if you needed their evidence in, in a case to help you get compensation or to resist a decree against you. Um, as Susie mentioned, early engagement with uh, the team that are calling you is a very good idea do if you're asked to give a statement. Some witnesses don't want to give up the time or they think if they don't give a statement um, they won't be called. That's not correct. Um, if you give a statement and you give a statement early then it may be that your evidence can be agreed with the other side or it may be that people will decide that your evidence is not important enough that you won't be called. Um, it's, it, it, and also you'll know what um, they want you to speak about because they'll have asked you particular questions. Um, If you've given a statement, it's a good thing to get a copy of it, uh, to read it, and if it says something that is incorrect or you disagree with, point that out um, as quickly as possible um, to the people that you gave the statement to. Uh, you should be told if there's a hearing coming up and you've been cited. That is, you've been given a formal document telling you that you have to pitch up at court. Unfortunately, most citations will say that you have to pick up uh, pitch up for the entire duration of a court case, which might be a week or more. Um, keep in touch with the people that have cited you um, to try and get them to narrow down the date or time in uh, the run up to uh, the case. Remember, the lawyers aren't trying to mess you around. It's just that they can't give you an exact time when your evidence is going to be given uh, until um, they know when the other witnesses are likely to be available and when they'll be giving um, their evidence, etc. So the uh, good practices, they will get back to you on that. Um, keep your receipts as well. So if you have receipts for travel or for a not too expensive lunch, etc., cetera, um, then you should keep those because the people that cited you will want to see them so that they can uh, pay you your expenses. And if you've if you're employed, speak to your employers, let them know that you're having to give evidence, and if you suffer any loss of earnings, then you can seek to recover that from the party that has um, cited you. And lastly, but not least, um, remember that most civil cases settle. 99% settle. So the chances are, even if you've given the statement, you're not going to have to appear in court to, to speak to it. But the tips that Susie um, and I have given are... I think, practical ways of trying to mitigate any stress uh, arising,
0: but it will be stressful. Okay. Thank you very much to Tony Jones and to Susie Mountain for their fascinating insights today. As part of the Podcast by Brodies series, What Do I Do If? In Podcast by Brodies, some of the country's leading lawyers and sometimes special guests share their enlightened thinking about the issues and developments having an impact on the legal sector and what those mean for organizations, businesses, and individuals across the UK. If you'd like to hear more, please subscribe to Podcast by Brodies, which can be found on all your main podcast platforms. And for more information and insights, please visit www.brodies.com.